Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, step right up. We have an amazing show for you today and some wonderful guests joining us. It's Andrew Templeton here. Dude, it's a party in the booth today. It is. There's 18 of us here. There is, yeah. We, just, uh, we essentially got a SEAL team in here. <laughs> Pretty much. Just kidding. Six of us. Um, but actually, uh, we have Hector and Leah on today. Um, Hector, tell the audience a little, little bit about yourself. Yeah, so originally born and raised in Las Vegas. So I think me and Ro were talking about that earlier. And just, Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah, Las okay, Vegas, cool. Nevada. So hardcore Golden Knights fan and <laughs> love it. I'm wearing a hat right now, just showing it. And that's how Ro was like, hey, wait a second. You from Vegas? Yep, <laughs> how to be, uh, which is a funny thing to say, right? You got to be a Raiders guy now. Uh, yeah, that one's a little bit harder, but <laughs> <laughs> always will be. Yeah, yeah. So, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, glad you're here. Thanks for being here. And Leah, what about yourself? I grew up in College Station, Texas. Went to Dallas Baptist University. So go Pats. And uh, I mean, hey, was your family be upset proud. about that? Or well, I mean, Grumman College Station ain't in. I know. I say that it's in my blood, but I'm starting to have a lot of FOMO about the Aggie ring. Just to give you context, we live in Dallas, and every single person that went to Texas A&M wears a gold ring on their right hand. Yep. Just so everyone else knows that they went to Texas A&M. Yeah, I'm thinking about buying one from a pawn shop sometime, just for kicks and giggles. Or you want to get like a master's, of, you know, something down there, just exactly. so I can fit in, right? Just so you can yeah, fit in. Yeah. Exactly. Go get a master's in like dance theory, just so you get, <laughs> just so you get the ring. I, I can't dance that well. So, uh, bro, what's our icebreaker for today? I was reading the other day about after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, like a week later, they're all just hanging out at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house, and they're just eating dinner. Just really cool moment where I, I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation because I mean, you just raised this guy from the dead, and now you're just eating. You're just hanging out eating food. So the question that I've got for y'all, if Jesus came to your house, what are you cooking for him? And or what takeout are you ordering for him? The takeout part's a good part because there's a lot of great food. Uh, you got this, Hector? No, you know what no, you can pick no. up? Oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm going straight forward. We're going to make it easy. We're going to have some T-bone steaks, some fingerling potatoes, aioli, um, asparagus, some good wine, and probably for dessert, we're going to have like a good cheesecake. Uh, gonna, and, and some coffee. You're not going to serve water so you can turn into one? Uh, no, we're going to have wine. If we run out, he can take care of us. But yeah, I want to be a good host to start with. And then once I run out. You can't um, make him do all the work. Amen. Yeah, come on. Yeah, He's a guest. Yeah, He's a guest. Yeah, amen, amen. That's just one of my go-tos. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I love, I think it'd be really interesting uh, to bring in some Texas flavor. Okay. Uh, and just serve, like, brisket. Mm. Do I mean, we can even bring in some lamb chops, uh, I think would be awesome. And then just all the fixings, uh, just some good old Southern comfort. I had some good Terry Black's barbecue brisket last night and all the sides. Oh, it was so good. Uh, Jealous. Man, well, I'm a big baker myself. So I think I'd definitely have to try for some some quality cookies. But but then when you think about it, Jesus being Jewish probably didn't eat a lot of different foods because of the laws back then. So it's like, no, you got to bring out all of the things that maybe he missed. That's true. Good point. Uh, it depends on the season for me. If it was in the fall, I'd make him chicken and sausage gumbo. I'm from Louisiana. Ooh. If I if it was fall or winter, I'd do gumbo. If it was the spring or summer, I'd do crawfish etouffee. Yeah. Etouffee. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. It depends on the season though. 
<laughs> All right, that sounds fun. I can't wait. Maybe in heaven we'll get to cook for Jesus sometime. I mean, it says we're gonna have feasts, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Lamb Supper. So feast of lamb. I'm excited for these things. But we could also have those times for people who may not have all that stuff. I'm pretty sure Jesus would be satisfied or more than excited just to eat dinner with you, even if you brought, like, peas and some lentils or nothing. And we're kind of talking about today with abundance and lack in the seasons of life where we have abundance, way too much, just enough, and lack where we don't have enough. But when you guys hear that abundance and in lack, what do you first think of? Let's talk about abundance first. I think when I think about abundance, and this is kind of what I was thinking about on the way over here, um, was just really, are we defining abundance by the measures of the people around us? Um, Are we uh, according to, like not according to, but are we looking at abundance as what we have and whether or not we have enough and then more than that, right? So right now I'm in a position where I have exactly what I need, um, and anything more that I end up acquiring or if somebody blesses me with something is in abundance. Uh, and so I was really kind of wrestling with that. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I I mean, right now I live off of student loans, and so I'm by no means by, <laughs> I'm by, I'm by no means wealthy. You get that debt hole, come on. Uh, pretty much, yeah, every day. I'm just reading it. It's like the national debt ticker. But anyway, every, <laughs> anyway, I mean, even though I'm, I'm not wealthy by any means, I mean, I look at the people in my life. I think at my parents who love each other. They love Jesus. They, and they love my sister and I. I have a great town that I call home. I have all these amazing friends. I get to be a part of a God-fearing body. And I, I would say I'm a very rich man in that regard. And so I would say I have a lot of abundance in that in that regard. And your family status and how you're loved and stuff? Yeah. Okay, There's so like, abundance is having... Uh, we have abundance is more than so then there's contentment in the middle where you have just what you need and then in lack at the bottom yes. all right it's a good way of putting it so how would you define in, in lack in seasons of in lack um i mean if you're talking materially it's when your needs aren't being met and you're having to struggle uh if you're talking about spiritually emotionally relationally it's when i would say when you do not have the spirit of god so spiritually you would be in lack if you do not have the spirit of god emotionally you would be in lack if I don't know, that one's a little tougher to define, but and I think relationally you would be in lack if you do not have people around you that can spur you on and encourage you and help you grow in your walk with Christ. I would definitely agree with that, and I think it is the perspective of are you looking at abundance in material objects? And sometimes I feel like that can be a little bit relative if you're talking about it in that way with abundance and lack because I think sometimes living in a first-world country that we do, sometimes we might not realize the abundance of different things that we have. And I know at the porch a few weeks ago, they challenged us to see what our income, how that related to the rest of the population and just realizing how much we really do have physically, but also just the abundance that we have in Christ, I think is so easy for us to forget sometimes. Facts. Uh, where do you want to start with this one today, guys? I see you have a ton of notes there, Leah. Did you bring any? I any do cool? like to take some She's notes. She's an overachiever over here. I got a few on my They're iPhone. color coded. Yeah, color coded. We got gold, it's a purple, thing. teal, regular pencil colors. But you have any questions on there that you wanted to, to talk about first and foremost? Mm, I think mainly I was just thinking a lot about what it looks like to have abundance in your relationship with Christ. Because I think for me, my first thought was material things. But even there are so many examples of people in this world who they might be lacking in material items. And I know we all went through COVID and that was kind of a a season of lacking for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But in the Bible, it talks about that if we have that relationship with Christ, God still promises us abundance in this life. And so kind of talking about what does that really 
look like from a day-to-day standpoint. Mm. What verse are you referring to there? Are you For which part? God promises that we'll have abundance in this life. Not exactly abundance, but in our relationship <laughs> with him, I definitely see what you're saying there. But we're not promised abundance in like our possessions or enjoy and peace, but kind of that when if we have a relationship with Christ, that we can abound in hope. Romans 15.3 says um, that may the God of all hope fill us with joy and peace and believing. So by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope or that mm. Jesus came life and that we might have it more abundantly in John 10.10. Okay. That's a good start right there. I would say, yeah, the first and foremost, we think of abundance. We start in Dallas here. We're like, let's go to Highland Park, which is the <laughs> nicest part of the city where you're like, oh, that, that car costs $250,000 yeah. and that house costs $15 million. Uh, You know, I was I, I work in real estate. So I saw one that came off the market the other day and it was like $14.5 million. I was like, man, if I could sell that house, this would be a great day. <laughs> but that would be overabundance. Right. And these people have an overabundance of things. Um, you, know we, you know what's wild about that, though? So yeah. Highland Park is one of the nicest neighborhoods probably in Texas. Yeah. If you go a mile down the road, to Turtle Creek, you have even nicer houses than that. So that's where Jerry Jones lives. Mm. That's oh, where the owners of the Chiefs live. Like, if you're living in Highland Park and you're looking at Turtle Creek, like you, <laughs> you're you're like I'm in lack. Exactly, and because so it's all relative. It's well, it's subjective. Is what like, it's relative or subjective, yeah. and that's what abundance and in lack is. I think a lot of times is we compare ourselves to those around us. We're looking at the IG, the Facebook, what person, what kind of car they roll up to the you know dinner at or to the church at, and you're like, dang, they got one of those. <laughs> we start comparing. You're like, I'm in lack when. Comparatively to the rest of the world, 99% of the world, you're like, I have abundance. So how do we keep our mind, as you talked about this, focused on, as as Christians, focused on Christ and focused on the abundance that he has given us? I immediately thought of Matthew 6 whenever we were talking about abundance and lack. It's a long paragraph, but starting in verse 28, it says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so when you read that, you think that's the hippie Jesus. So he's basically saying, just hang out, relax, let loose, all these things are going to be given to you. You really don't have to worry. And I think what Jesus is actually saying in that verse is, if you focus on me and I am the highest possible aim of your life, I am where you are focused and I'm where you are headed, then all of these other things are somewhat ancillary. Because if you're headed for eternity with God through through faith in Jesus Christ, at the end of the day, none of that stuff really matters. And so God knows that you need these things now on earth to stay alive. He gets that and he wants to keep you alive so that you can fulfill his purpose as long as he wants you to fulfill his purpose. But then after you, after our time on this earth is done, we get to spend eternity with God. And by having that eternal mindset and having that, that focus that we're fighting an eternal battle and we're not worried about the day-to-day, you know, keeping up with the Joneses' lifestyle, that we're just focused on Christ and that is our main aim, then all of these things will take care of themselves in a way. I like how it focuses in that passage on what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? And I think even if we look, let's just take the American culture right now. It's like, where are we going to go out to dinner? What's going on for brunch on the weekend? Where are we getting drinks on Thursday night, happy hour, especially this culture in Dallas? Right. And then it's like, oh, i got to look good for people too. And that's so, like, that's what we do. We're overabundance here. Uh, and Christ says, no, look at the spiritual side of things. Is like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and God's going to supply all your needs. Um, so I was actually thinking about, like, 
really just the the covenant that God made uh, with Israel, right? Mm-hmm. He gave them all of these blessings that if they were just to keep them to himself, they wouldn't be fulfilling God's covenant, right? So God gave them everything that they needed in order to bless even, like, we don't really consider this, but the Gentiles that are around them uh, to point everyone back to God, uh, to show them, hey, all of this isn't because of us as Israelites, but it's for um, those around us to see what God has done. Um, And so when I think of abundance, man, it kind of goes to that, right? The things that we have are to be used uh, for God's glory to showcase what he's done in our lives uh, and the lives around us. Yeah, Hector, I think that's such a great point. And even in 2 Corinthians 9-11, it talks about, says that we'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, and that the purpose of that is that it would be overflowing in thankfulness to God. And so I think that is an aspect of being a believer is just out of our gratitude for what the Lord has done for us and out of the abundance that we have. Maybe it's material possessions or maybe it's just the peace and the joy and the things that we have because of our relationship with Christ. How can we leverage those for the kingdom and how can we, you know, use our excess or even, you know, giving until it hurts to really love someone else well and to point them to Christ? So the richest man who ever lived, King Solomon, most likely the richest man who ever lived, in Psalm 72 when he was king of Israel at their apex in power, he is praying God. He is praying to God in the first half of Psalm 72. It sounds like one of the most egotistical prayers you could possibly pray because he's asking God, enlarge my influence, give me territory, give me power, give me wealth. And he says, so that for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. So, Yes, God, please give me wealth, power, influence, so that I can take care of the people that are neglected and that are marginalized. Dang, wasn't expecting that one. That was like, drop there, Hector. I'm going to finish it out, Ro. Uh, that's the truth, that God gives us seasons of abundance, not so that we can be like, oh, I'm, I'm just overjoyed with what I have. I'm just going to go roll in my riches or whatever God's given me. It's so that we can give back to the men and women around us and bless them uh, and take care of them. And we'd be like, God's giving me this. I want to share this with you because I want to point you back to Christ. Have, have you ever seen a Brinks truck roll up to a funeral? <laughs> no, have you? No, I haven't. Just giving out dollar bills at the funeral. Is that what's going on? I was thinking I mean, like, man, guy dies, millionaire, brings out $20 bills. Everyone at the funeral, just go in the Brinks truck, grab what you can. It's like, congratulations on your mansion. Now you're dead. What, what now? Yeah. I mean, nothing you can do. Yeah. It's like, what, what did you use? Did you use it to advance God's kingdom? That's the question. Yeah. And then as we look at Matthew 6, which we were just talking about, beginning of that chapter, Christ talks about giving to the needy, right? That's his, so before he talks about, oh my God's going to supply all your needs, he's talking about give to the needy. So even before the abundance comes, we have to have the mindset of giving to those around us and taking care of them. Um, because if you don't have that mindset in the beginning, it's not going to come later when you have the wealth. Um, and he says, Christ says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like when we're given, it's not like, man, God has blessed me so much. Hey guys, come watch me. I'm going to give this guy, this homeless guy, 20 bucks. You in? Like that's, he tells us not to do that. Right. He says, go to bless the person, but do it in secret so that they are taken care of and they see God, not so that your friends see it. That's a good point. And also I think when we're talking about generosity and giving out of abundance and just thinking about maybe not even physical things of if you have a lot of time on your hands right now, maybe if you're working from home or if you have a great friend group, 
like how can you out of your abundance kind of use that to share with others? So maybe how can you use your extra time to help someone that's in need? Or maybe your friend has their car in the shop. How can you use what God's given you, you having a car to maybe give them a ride or just trying to think different things of creatively of that. It doesn't always have to look like generosity in the form like financially or giving of objects, but how can you give your time? How can you give encouragement just kind of in all different aspects of what we're called to do? Yeah, I mean, God really does tell us to carry each other's burdens, right? So not even just physically, uh, but even in an emotional spectrum, right? We all have an emotional, like, wealth, right? Yeah. Some of us are very healthy and, you know, if you either sought, um, like, a spiritual counselor or just really mentorship from others. And so we're at a point, I would say, everyone in this room is, hey, we have uh, – an emotional abundance to where if somebody's hurting just emotionally, they've gone through, you know, a death in the family or even, uh, you know, they're just having a hard time at work. We can help carry each other's burdens, even on an emotional spectrum. Uh, and just having that awareness of, hey, Christ has shown me so much love and grace that I'm at a place where I can go and carry another's burdens for a season, right? To go and alleviate my time uh, to really prioritize someone else um, in that way. You know, we're seeing there's a lot of depression in young adults specifically. Um, and I know someone, most, probably a couple in this room have gone through it, right? I know I have for a season, and it's to have a man or a woman around you who's like, oh, I've been there, but now I, I, my cup is completely full right now, and I want to pour into you. I want it to overflow into you. Uh, and I think that's a really good example of like, there's different, so many different things we can say in a season of abundance that can be pouring back into people. And I've just been thinking about Psalm 23, 5, where David says, my cup is completely full in the net version. And I'm like, come on. That's what we're talking about. It's always <laughs> full, right? Half, yeah. half empty, half full. What is it? No, no, it's always full with Christ, no matter what's going on around us. And he said that while actively being hunted. He was on the run. On the run again. On, on the, the run road again. Sorry. Hiding in caves. And yet Ugh. my cup is full because I have God. So beautiful. So he was in a season of lack. Would you say that? Uh, materially, yes, but spiritually, no. I mean, he was hiding in caves, afraid for his life, but yet he knew that he had this promise on his life that God had given him, so he had enough faith that even though I'm hiding in caves right now, I will one day be king of Israel because God promised me that I would be king of Israel, and so therefore I'm going to walk with God in this season of material lack until he makes me king. Are you guys okay to talk about in lack for a little bit? Oh, yeah. What, um, what does a season of in lack look like for the world? Let's talk about that first. Because there's a, I mean, the world's what, seven-something billion people? And not a very large percentage of those are Christians. Yeah, it's steadily growing. Yeah. I mean, just if we're going to talk about that lack, right, of just spirituality, um, there's 2.2 billion people who will grow up and never hear about the gospel. Wow. Uh, just all around the world. They're the unreached in the nation or just in the world, right? And there's a lack there. It's 25% of the whole world's population is in lack of just the knowledge mm. of being able to make a decision to follow Jesus. Um, and yet we sit in abundance and lack thereof uh, all over the world. So the world that doesn't know Christ spiritually, they are in lack because almost 25% have no potential of knowing him right now. And the unfortunate part is a lot of that 2.2 billion is also a material lack because a lot of those 2.2 billion people live in third world countries where they are not doing well financially, materially, they may not know where their next meal is coming from, and so they've had a really tough go at it because they've had a tough life, and on top of that, they don't have this eternal hope that we have in Christ. And so it's a very, very sad picture um, to understand that reality. 
that perspective is very sobering, I think, for those of for those of us that live in the States, just because when we're thinking about lack, I feel like a lot of us have a very different perspective than someone like we're talking about that's in a third world country, maybe has no access to even basic food and basic needs and healthcare or Christ. And I feel like a lot of us can so easily get caught up in what we think that we might be lacking here, but just in comparison of having so much. One time I asked my dad when I was a kid, what do you have to make to be rich? And he said, a rich a rich person is someone who makes 40% more than you do. I got that, <laughs> like, Just so you know, 40, yeah, yeah. He's like, however much money you make, a rich person is someone who makes 40% more than you do. So the lesson there was, like one of his many front porch lessons that he taught me growing up, there will always be someone who's got more than you. Always be someone who has a bigger house. Did you guys have rockers on your front porch? We did. Oh, man. So we had, we had two gray rocking chairs on the on the left side of the porch, and then we had a bench, like that was a big swing on the right side. Uh-huh. We never sat on the on the bench. It was always the two rockers. Are they still there? They're still there. All right, I'm coming to the bench. Yeah. It sounds like 40% more than I had. <laughs> <laughs> the bench is covered with wasps, so we never sit on the bench. Uh, I got you, I got you. Now, as Christians, what does a season of inlack look like? Let's talk about that. I think originally I'm just reminded of Paul and how he does talk about that there are seasons, especially that there were seasons of his life um, when he went through a lot of difficult situations of being shipwrecked and all these other crazy things happening, being beaten and um, so many different things. But how in the Bible, in Philippians 4.1, it talks about that in whatever season he was content because he knew how to be brought low and what it looked like to abound and that the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need was that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. But more of an emphasis, I think, that verse has on Christ because Paul and himself can do nothing. I mean, we're all we're all just humans. We are sinful. We don't have any power in ourselves. But with that abundance that came from the Lord, he was able to be content in any circumstance. That's good. That's a tough place to get to, though. Definitely. Easier said than done. Yeah, no kidding. So what do you say to the person who's struggling? Like, as a Christian, they're in lack right now. Let's just say spiritually they're in lack, which we can talk We just dive into that a little bit more. But what do you say to that person? How do you encourage that individual? Well, one, I mean, so there's a couple things that come to mind when I hear that, right? Yep. Are you quenching the Spirit? Um, because we can have the Spirit, we can be full of the Spirit, but there's going to be seasons where we're quenching the Spirit, and that's going to be seasons where we're heavily involved in sin and really just saying, hey, we really don't want you to change this part of our lives. And so in many ways, it's, and this is kind of what I've done in the past is there's plenty of different verses that say, hey, ask to be filled with the Spirit. And so it could be just simply through prayer, right? Hey, God, I'm just going to take a step back from asking you for anything materialistic, anything in this world, and just say, hey, God, can you fill me with the Spirit right now? Can you re... Uh, we talked about having a full cup, right, with David saying that, right? Can you fill my cup up again and have it overflowing? God, fill me with your Spirit. Uh, because there's many times where we can quench the Spirit or now we're losing our ability to have self-control, joy, and all, all the different spiritual gifts. Um, that's one way that I've thought about it um, and just in terms of hey, having a lack of um, just my ability to dwell with the Lord. For me, it was seasons of isolation. So in college, what that meant is the summertime when I'm away from the guys that I would usually be in small groups with and the guys that I would usually be discipling, that was really difficult. The summer after I graduated from college was really, really difficult. Um, And so in those seasons, just fight for community. 
whatever kind of community you can find. We're not meant to do life alone. Um, like I have a friend right now who he's at LSU and he's just over the school year, he was just on fire for the Lord. He was leading Bible studies. People in, in Greek life at LSU were coming to Christ because of this guy. He's just doing so well. And then summertime comes, he's got to go home and he's removed from all these people that he's been helping. And now he's kind of going through this little bit of a, of a depression because he was on the spiritual high leading people to Christ. And now he's alone back at home and he doesn't really know what to do. And I didn't have a great answer for him. So I just kind of prayed with him, but it just shows you the importance of community and how much it matters to have people around us that will spur us on, encourage us, hold us accountable and keep us from falling back into those same sins. Um, was that Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, right? Where it says, and let us not neglect me together as is the habit of some, right? Mm-hmm. But let's encourage one another all the more to see the day approaching, right? It's continuing to encourage one another and meet together in that community, no matter what's going on around us. Yeah. And I would say a lot of the in lack seasons, like there are going to be you, in any spiritual walk, we are going to have our ups and downs no matter what. But a lot of the times the, as Hector was saying, the in lack season spiritually has been brought on by ourself as we're quenching the spirit, as we're like, mm, that sin looks really fun. I'm just going to keep doing it. And we harden our hearts or we decide to step away from community. And, and sometimes it may be you move across the world or you move across the country or somewhere else, wherever it may be, and you just don't have that community yet. And that's a tough season where God's like, you are in lack, but I want you to rely upon. How did you handle that? Because in previous episodes, you've talked about how you and Babani moved from Albuquerque and you get to Dallas. You were in Albuquerque and everything was going great. You had all these great people around you. And then you moved to Dallas where you didn't really know many people. How did you navigate that season, that season of transition? It's tough. No, um, that's just the the straight answer. Like, it's not like, man, I recommend to people whenever you move to a new place, um, it's harder at our church because it's such a large body. But what I did the last time is I would walk up, went to the young adult group, walked up to the pastor, say, hey, can we get coffee this week? Immediately met the pastor. And then I immediately like, hey, what small group should I go to or should I be in? Right here, goes introduce me to somebody who introduced me to half a small group. And all of a sudden I have these guys who know my name. And then I get more plugged in and continue to go to that. Mm -hmm. So when you move places, it's trying to find that Christian community around you. Um, I'm blessed that I found some some good guys here at Dallas Theological Seminary um, to immediately surround myself with. Um, And then Babani was looking for people at Watermark and at the porch Mm -hmm. slowly. And myself was included in that. But it does take time. Like my head, move here in August. I'm like, man, into September, going to have great friends, going to have my real estate license, going to do this, this, and this. And here I am into September. I'm like, wow, this is really slow. Like, I'm not where I wanted to be. Um, but it's giving yourself grace and saying great relationships, great community, um, really take time to build. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can speak into that too. I mean, in the last two years, I've moved twice. Right? Oh, wow. Moved, wow. Well, actually three years, last three years. So I moved from Las Vegas to Dallas. And then September of last year, moved from Dallas to Houston. Mm. And one of the things that I have to continually tell myself to stay resolute in my faith is does my faith change based off of my environment, Ooh. right? It's because of where I'm at in Las Vegas, I had a really great community. Um, and now I'm in Dallas where I know nobody. I came here know, knowing that I could possibly get plugged in with Watermark or get possibly plugged in with a few um, believers. But it took me three to four months. And just from the get-go, I was like, well, hey, you know, Dallas has a pretty nice bar scene. Well, what if I were just to go out and start partying again, right? You can make some friends real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, easily. And friends that will bring in some sense of joy or happiness in the moment, but it's going to go away, right? And so I had to decide, right? It's the whole notion of Jesus telling us to pick up our cross daily, right? It's, hey, does my faith change based off of my environment? And the answer is always no, right? No matter where I'm at, 
in my faith and no matter where I'm at in the world, um, it's always going to be the same. My relationship with the Lord is going to stay the same. It's steadfast. He's pursuing me as I pursue him. Even when I'm not, he's pursuing me. In, in seasons of in lack, especially, you have to, there's no just sitting around and doing the woe is me statement. Mm-hmm. It's the you have to seek it out, whatever it may be, whether that's community, whether that's be the word of God, quenching the spirit, trying to find the spirit again. Like you have to seek, you have to actively move. Typically, you don't sit there and things come to you. Mm-hmm. Right, just how it works. And that's kind of the, it's the same thing with abundance is we get too comfortable and too much. And so we stop seeking as well. And so we have to balance that. It's like, man, whatever season you're in of there for abundance or lack or con- it's contentment saying, I'm always seeking Christ. I'm always seeking community. I'm always seeking his word so I can be filled by that. Yeah, and I think that's sometimes the most difficult part of even we see the Israelites whenever they became comfortable and they stopped seeking the Lord. In the same way, I feel like in seasons of lack, although they are so difficult, I have experienced in my own life so many different times of when I've fallen into a season of anxiety or depression or um, something like that, how it's really caused me to depend on the Lord more because it's, you know, you get to the point where you're like, I can't do this without Christ. And so even though those seasons have been so difficult and so hard, at the same time, I can kind of look back and like see God's provision in that and to where he's really revealed himself to me in those seasons because I've had to fully kind of surrender and say, God, I really cannot do this on my own. I need you now. And just kind of praying and seeing the Lord like respond has been so, so incredible. Yeah. You grow so yeah. much more the same way. I mean, easily now you back to weightlifting or CrossFit, right? Mm. If you're, <laughs> I, I just had to do it. Sorry. Yeah, you, it's easy to see if you are going to be squatting the same weight day in and day out for a couple of years, it's for the first couple of weeks. You're like, this is, this is easy. It's great though. I can talk to people and do whatever I want. I'm super comfortable. Same thing. Our spiritual walk. If you're just doing the same thing over and over again, and not stretching outside your comfort zone. There's a story in one of the Gospels, I believe, John, where Jesus is standing in the temple, and there are a bunch of Pharisees that are dumping in bags, of, or a bunch of rich people dumping in bags of cash. They're really doing it for the attention. They want people to see that they're dumping in bags, bags of cash. Bags of cash, like $100 and bills, let's go. Yeah. I mean, they are dumping in some, some serious money. And then this poor widow with two coins, who most people estimate were worth less than a penny, comes in, drops her two coins in the, in the treasury, and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, she is more generous than all of these rich people who gave, in American terms, hundreds of thousands of dollars because she gave out of her lack while they, or she gave out of her need while they gave out of their abundance. That's a paraphrase. It's not a direct quote, but that was the gist. And so he's painting this picture of people who have abundance material and this one woman who, have, who has lack materially. And the faithful one was the one who had lack because she gave out of her need. And she was willing to be faithful with what little she, she was willing to be faithful with what she had, even though by our standards, it was not enough. And so I think that there's a lesson there when we're not talking about material goods, that if you think that you're not enough and that you really don't have much to offer Christ, if you were willing to offer what you do have, then he can do something with it that you would not imagine because he's God. And so this woman had no idea that 2000 years later in Dallas, Texas, we would still be talking about her. She had no idea when she did that, but she was just faithful with the little bit that she had and God was able to use that and to use her as an example for faithfulness. What if it left her with nothing? How should we react today if we have nothing as believers? That's a really good point. It's a really good question. Sometimes I, one of my favorite people to read um, to read about is Corey Ten Boom. And mm. so kind of backstory of she was a believer, I believe, in Germany, but throughout the World War II era, 
And in the way that she served and loved people, she just felt called to have some Jews in her house um, during when they were doing concentration camps. And it ended up that she was giving out of her abundance and doing something that was even illegal, but that she felt called to do and that she knew was right in the eyes of the Lord. And she ended up actually being put in a concentration camp. And her sister was there with her as well, and her sister ended up dying. But it's so interesting to read through their story of, in that aspect, like everything that they have, like physically, completely taken away. But still seeing how when she had the words of Christ and just having the Lord, his peace and the joy and the things that came from having a personal relationship with him, how she was still able to be so content in that circumstance and to share that hope with others who were going through the same thing. And you know what? What's wild about that is, so she gets thrown in the concentration camp too with all of these people that did not deserve to be there. And yet she's probably, I would assume if she's that faithful believer, she's probably sharing the gospel with people in that concentration camp. And so you're in this death camp where you know your days are limited and you have your past is a lot bigger than your future because you're about to die. And yet there's no hope on earth whatsoever. And yet here's this woman sharing the gospel sharing this eternal hope with people who are quite literally marching towards their death. And, you know, at, we, we look at that story, and if there's if Christ is not a part of that story, it's a tragedy, because a rich woman goes from being rich to being in a concentration camp. Just on that stamp, just from that standpoint, it's a tragedy. But then when Christ enters that equation, it's not a tragedy. It's an amazing, amazing story, because she was able to, to hopefully lead some people to Christ that will now spend eternity in heaven even though that they had just horrible circumstances at the end of their life here on earth because of this woman and her faithfulness. I think I immediately thought of Job, um, Job in the Bible, where he has everything taken away from him in the uh, abundance, in the material things, everything's taken away, his wealth, his kids, his house, his health. And, and he says, basically, naked I came into this world for my mother's and naked I shall return, right? It's the idea that he came in with nothing. He can't take anything with him. So honestly, he's like, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's a second response. Um, and I think it's recognizing God's sovereignty and the fact that we are in the palm of his hands. Um, and that's going to take some wrestling with. Like, it's not like day one, I lose everything. I'm like, dude, easy money. No, it's like, this really sucks. And like leaning into that, but you're saying, but God, you've already provided me everything I need. It took Job 38 chapters to get to that point. Well, um, no, he says that in chapter one. Oh, he says that in chapter Ch one. That's chapter oh, one. But then he has a lot of, there's, but then there's days, that's day one. But then there's days and days and weeks and months of sitting in that. And he's just like, this is really hard. Yeah. And that's when it takes him, God coming to him in the end, right? Yeah. That little showdown, that conversation at the end of the chapter, or at the end of Job, that it cracks me up every time. It sounds like a, it sounds like a dad talking to his three-year-old. Yeah. So we know that those who have nothing should seek towards God and find abundance in him. Should those who have everything, right, abundance, should they, and material things, should they be seeking after God's abundance as well? 100%. Why? I mean, if, if my heart's already full, I have everything I need. Yeah, have fun with that. Um, well, my, I mean, like, it's here, here's a story. Here's an example, right? I come, and this guy to know is guy comes to the porch on the church on Tuesday night, friend of a friend. I get to talk to him for the entire time. I loved him. And I said, hey, hey, do you have a faith of any kind? Any kind? This is my normal question. He says, no, I've been too busy. Basically, his life has been, he's like, I work, I study, I work, I study. Like, I don't have time to think about anything else. And, right, it's, he's been so busy consuming with these things, he can't even think about beyond the grand scope of that. And same kind of way is like, why would I think about spirituality? I have everything I've ever needed in terms of, I think it was back in Virginia, my pastor was saying when he was out there that he'd ask kids like about stuff and they're like, oh no, my parents can buy it for me. Like, I'm good, my parents, my parents have money. Like, 
That was the response because it was one of the wealthiest Yikes. counties in the United States. So how do we how does how do we respond to something like that? Had, has everything they've ever needed and more than that? They're like, I'm good. I don't need the gospel. I don't need Jesus. I think in that situation, you just share the gospel with them anyway and pray for them afterwards. Because I mean, you're if someone's that convinced that they've got everything that they need and that because I have family money, I don't need Christ. If someone's actually convinced of that, you're not going to change their mind. Only Christ is going to change their mind. And so in that in that situation. Share the gospel with them. Tell them that Jesus loves them unconditionally. Pray for them, and then, I guess, let God do His thing. Um, because you're not. I mean, I, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you can convince someone who's in that state of mind. Like, there's just so much stubbornness there. Yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, if we're going to the point of convincing, right? Yeah. Quotes, right? Then it's never going to work, right? But That's I, true. Yeah. I do agree with you that we have to pray for for them. Um, but it's, it's almost in a sense of creating this gap of, like, Romans, right, says that we all fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has this gap between them and Christ. So there is a lack before knowing him, right? And so it's just pointing that out. Um, I know one of the points that I've always brought up is, hey, let's just, let's just define what, because normally it comes down to, like, I'm a good person, right? I don't really need anything because I'm a good person, right? But it sometimes takes redefining that of, hey, let's define what God thinks is good. Let's go to the Ten Commandments, right? If someone is good, they won't lie. If someone's good, they won't cheat. If someone's good, they won't murder, right? But then Jesus redefines murder and says, even having hate in your heart is like murdering someone is as bad as murdering someone. He does that with lust too, right? Just looking at somebody with lust is as if you committed adultery. And so it's creating this gap and letting them see that there already is a gap that they just weren't aware of, right? And so it's pointing it out and saying, hey, do you fit into any of these categories? Have you stolen anything? I've stolen the pencil from my sister when, you know, we were in grade school. I stole uh, a pack of gum. My yeah. girl let me take it back. Mm. We were in the car. She found it. She said, it was like one of those like five little pieces of gum at a Mexican restaurant. She clicked. Yeah. Got so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even that, right? Like, even as small as that, you're a sinner, mm -hmm. right? Who's fallen short of the glory of God. There's a disparity between you and Christ at that moment because of the sin that you've just committed, right? And it goes, and that's why I think God gave us the Ten Commandments, obviously, to show us that, hey, through this, you'll never be able to be perfect or good, right, in my eyes. And so there's always going to be um, this gap between you and me. And so sometimes... It really is just pointing that out and praying with them about it. It's like, hey, I, I mean, I, I even had a conversation uh, in Yellowstone where this lady, um, she had this confrontation based off parking. And, yeah, and so she's like, I got out of my car, and this was our spot. We were about to park, and so I got out, and I stood in the parking spot, and all I said was, God bless the lady. And I said, isn't, was there not any anger in your heart? Were you not angry with this other person who is potentially going to take the spot from you? She's like, no, <laughs> I didn't feel anything. I just said, God bless. I'm like, there's no way. There's there's a there's a negligence to us being able to see the sin, and so we have to paint a picture as believers for the person who isn't a believer. Hey, the things that we do are inherently sinful in many ways, um, and just painting that picture. I wasn't able to do that for her. Mm -hmm. So there is going to be a point where there is pride and a hardness of heart uh, to where we can't actually see that. But 
we can, there are ways that we can, I think, point out, hey, we're not pointing the finger. We're saying we're just as guilty mm-hmm. um, and really just showing, hey, and sharing that burden of hate, like you said, right, uh, that you stole a pack of gum when you were younger. I've been there. I've done it. I've, I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's easy to say, hey, just you, but no, it's also me. It's, it's trying to shine the light in, so yeah. to speak. It's find that one little place or one, can I show one little glimpse of light so they can see like, huh, and just think about it. That's what light looks like. Okay. Maybe there's some more light will gradually come in there. I like that. Painting a picture and letting the light in. Uh, Leah, you have something to add? Yeah, I was just thinking about in Revelations, I think sometimes we can be so easily blinded like and so easily deceived, and that's where shining the light can be so important. But I'm just reminded of even Solomon who had everything, but then at the end he had everything that you could ever want. We talked about earlier of abundance and realized that it was all just like chasing after the wind. And so I think that non-believers, some might not immediately see the need for Jesus, but even in Revelations, it talks about one of the different churches and um, Christ is saying, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And so it does talk about how Satan can blind unbelievers and that we as Christians have such an opportunity to share that light with them. And sometimes it's hard, and I think that I get discouraged when I'm trying my best to share, and it seems so clear to me, and that someone still doesn't accept it and still doesn't get it. And that, on my own part, is my own pride of thinking that I have so much responsibility for helping them accept the truth, but really that that's what the Lord does, that God changes hearts. And so just the importance and prayer behind that and how great it might be that you plant a seed, but also not putting so much pressure on yourself where... If someone doesn't completely see what you're saying or it doesn't make sense to them quite yet that, you know, you have to surrender that person to God. Junior in college, I was a new Christian. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah, four (laughs) years ago. I was a new Christian and uh, I saw it as my obligation to disciple the young guys on the team. And so I would share the gospel with a couple of them and none of them were interested. Not a single one. And I remember talking to the guy who discipled me, like my mentor, and uh, I was like, I thought I was a good salesman. Why are they not doing this? And he was like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, first of all, the fact that you use the word salesman yeah, means yeah. that you're not, you don't get it. And I was like, I, I, and I didn't know what he was talking about, but now I understand. So Chris, Chris Bennett got it right. He's like, you're not, your job is not to sell the gospel. Mm-hmm. Your job is to share the gospel and to tell them about how awesome your savior is and then let God do the rest. Yeah, we're not a light in ourselves, yeah. right? It's not like we're radiating this goodness. It's we're reflecting the glory of God back to other people and saying, look at my God, look at what he's done. That's all. I can't do anything. In. To give a golf analogy, God lets us put the ball on the tee, and it's his job to hit it. It's like Ooh, he doesn't wow. need us to put the ball on the tee. He's very capable of bending <laughs> down and doing it. I'm gonna, I get teed up for him. Yeah. In, his, in his mercy, he allows us to put the ball on the tee for him so that we can be a part of the process. But he doesn't need us to do it. He can do it whenever he wants. And so it's not, it's, not, it's not because we're great salesmen. There is another point in that, though. There is, like, so... I have a, a different view on the whole salesman thing, right? A salesman is, bum, bum, bum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so Paul, right? When Paul goes to the Greeks, he says, hey, there's an unknown God over here. I know who this God is. And it's contextualization, right? It's this notion of using something from that person's life to share the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. There's so many different ways that we try to share the gospel in where we are trying to put ourselves on them, yeah, right? Which is not the right way. We're trying to meet, the gospel is going to meet their need in the way that's for them. 
And God gives us the spirit to discern what that need is and to share in the light, uh, share in delight, right? Shameless plug. But literally to, to point them to Christ from their need. Um, and so we can, in a way, come on their end. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I agree 100% with that. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says that to the Jew became a Jew, those outside the law became, as those outside the law, to the weak became weak. I become all things to all men that by all means I might win them for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings, right? And so we're just trying to love people extremely well. And Paul's like, I'm going to adapt and I'm going to change a little bit. Not, not who I am, but just adapt to who they are so they can better see it. Yeah, so good. Well, guys, we're almost done here. Any closing thoughts on abundance and in lack and seasons? And it's all about obedience, right? Amen. I just got done reading Psalm 119 like last week, and we did it for eight days. So it was like 20 verses a day, and every single thing in there is just about being obedient to God, just obedience. The entire time I was like, man, is that it? It's hard, but that's it? So we talked... Last, last point, but we talked about the gospel a lot and sharing the gospel. Just to remind you what the gospel is, I want to challenge everyone that's listening. Go read the story about the thief on the cross, the guy who was killed next to Jesus. Violent criminal, deserved to be on the cross. He will spend eternity in heaven because he looked at Jesus and said, I believe that you are who you say you are. And Jesus said, surely today you will be with me in paradise. And so when that guy got to heaven and someone asked him, why should I let you into heaven? He didn't say, because I was a good person, because he wasn't, he was a violent criminal. He said, because the guy on the middle cross said I could be here, so I'm here. That's the gospel. Uh, Luke 23, um, 30, 30 through the end. Yeah. That's what we'll be at. Awesome. Get out there, guys, and have an amazing day. Thank you to Hector and Leah for being here. Of Amen. course. Thanks for having, Thanks for having, us, having us. Hasta la vista. I guess bye. Ciao, Bella. Adios. Ah, there we go. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at Shine and Delight. You can also shoot us an email at shineanddelight at outlook.com. Until next time, be kind, love all, share your shine.